Wonderful. Well, thank you, choir. Thank you, worship team. If you're new to Riverside, a big welcome. Uh, having a choir is not something that we typically have, so it's a, it's a special treat when we do. And uh, you guys were on point here today, so thank you. And again, great to see everybody here. Uh, a big welcome to Riverside. This is your first time. We are super excited to have you join with us here today. Uh, this first Sunday back from um, summertime is typically been called and become known as Back to Church Sunday. Anybody heard that expression before? Back to Church Sunday, right? It's where everybody comes back out of the woodwork. You know, everybody's been on vacation. Everybody's been away. And now it's that time to regroup, refocus, to get back into some routine and regularity and back to church, right? That's kind of what it's all about. I think, you know, it, it's kind of sad, but what I kind of see happening more and more is this sort of this, this notion, this trend, not just, you know, having to get back to church after summer, but just having to get back to church in general. Because there's a lot of people that it seems just feels like I don't need the church really anymore. You know, it's just like I don't really like going I don't know if I'm getting anything out of it. I, I can just, you know, study at home or put on a YouTube video. Saves me from just having to be with all those weirdos on a Sunday, right? That's kind of oftentimes a bit of the notion that we see happening among people. I think there's been a lot of confusion going on among some people about just really what church is all about. Why we do what we do. What is the purpose of the church? A lot of confusion about these things. It, it reminds me of a story. There's a story told about this old-fashioned woman who was planning a couple of weeks vacation in Florida. And being quite elegant, you know, with her language, not wanting to sound a little bit, you know, uh, offending in any way, she wrote this letter to a particular campground for some reservations and just to find out some details about the campground. Well, she wanted to make sure that the campground was fully equipped, but didn't know how quite to write about or ask about the toilet facilities. All right. Being old fashioned, she didn't want to write toilets. She thought that's just too crude. I can't do that. So she's trying to think up some way to ask about that. So she came up with that term bathroom commode. All right. Anybody remember that term bathroom commode? Nobody wants to raise their hands because it's going to quickly reveal just, you know, your generation. And that's fine. That's all good. But bathroom commode. Well, as she starts writing this letter to the camp director or, or to the person there at the office, even writing bathroom commode felt a little bit odd. So she said, I'm going to abbreviate this. I'm just going to write BC. So she begins to ask about the BC. Does the campground have its own BC is what she actually wrote. Well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all. And when he received the letter, he had no idea what this woman was referring to. And he's racking his brain trying to figure out what does she mean by BC? He's really stumped. He starts sharing that letter with other campers asking, do you know what BC means? Do you know what she might be referring to? How, do we have our own BC? Is how, how well is it maintained? All these things. She, he doesn't know. And so finally, as he thinks about this, he realizes she must be asking about the local Baptist church, the BC. How is the Baptist church? So he's like, oh, fine. So he sits down and he writes the following reply to her. And he says, dear madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. 
I admit, he says, it's quite a distance away if you are in the habit of going regularly. But no doubt, you'll be pleased to know that a great number of people bring their lunches along and they make a day of it. He goes on to say, they usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we were there. We were there. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. And they plan to hold the supper right in the middle of the BC so everyone can watch and enjoy this great event together. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time you go. Sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks. That's a very, really friendly community. Now, a lot of confusion. I I hope there's no confusion on that level here when it comes to church and why we do what we do. But it is important to revisit oftentimes this kind of what church is all about? What is the purpose of it? So today we're taking a bit of a break from our regular study as we've been going through the Gospel of John, which we started at the beginning of the year, and, and we're having a great time through there. But I want to take some time to discuss these things because I think many people have, you know, sort of had, um, you know, wrong views really about the church. And not obviously you guys. I'm preaching to the choir here today. I understand. I recognize. But maybe as you're you know, talking with other people who have said, well, I used to go to church, but nah, just not really for me anymore. This might give you some encouragement of how to talk with them, how to address these things. Because a lot of people have begun to look at the church kind of more as an, as an organization. Sadly, many churches are operating more as a corporation than, than they need to be. And, and any time that you begin to turn the church into corporation, I think you're only a few steps away from it being a corpse. And so, though the church is not an organization, what the church is to be is an organism. In other words, it's a living, breathing, it is a, a functioning, as we're going to see in the word here today, this body, a, a body of Christ that we all come together, we have a, a part to play, we're all contributing and adding to the functioning of the church. We are receiving, but we're also giving. We are operating as an organism, not as an organization. And it's a real joy when we begin to see these things exercised, put into place and practiced within the church. It's a great blessing and, and strength that you receive as you begin to fulfill these things that we've been called to do. So to look at why we do what we do, we're going to turn to God's word and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible here today, we've got some people that will hand out a Bible to you. If you need a Bible, hold up your hand and our ushers are going to bring you a Bible right where you're sitting so that you can follow along with us and hear what God has to say to us about these things. So in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now let me just preface this by saying this. Um, well, let me, let me lay out what we're going to look at here. First of all, we're going to look at the purpose of the church. The church is to be an expression of unity. The church is to equip for ministry. The church is to encourage maturity. And the church is to edify lovingly. Now, by no means, let me just preface it by saying this, by no means is this an exhaustive list of the purpose of the church. In fact, we could spend all the fall going through every Sunday kind of purpose of the church, what the church is all about, how we live out these roles as being the church. We could spend a lot of time on this, but just what we're going to be looking at here today in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to spend some time looking at some of these points that we see being brought up 
in this passage in Ephesians 4 that we'll look at here today. So, not an exhaustive list, but these are some things that are standing out to us as we go through here today. So, Ephesians 4, verse 1, here's what it says. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus here, and he's writing to encourage them on these things. And we see right in these first six verses, this expression of unity that Paul is writing about and encouraging the church in. He lists seven things that we are are having in commonality this oneness that we have. Now, why is unity so important? Because unity is important to God. In fact, this was a, a major centralizing or, or centering thing that Jesus prayed about in John 17 when he, when he lists up this wonderful prayer to his disciples, for his disciples, for the world. And he says there in John 17, verse 11, He wrote this, or he he said this, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. He goes on to say in verse 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is praying there for what? For unity. For this oneness, for this togetherness. You see, our unity becomes a major opportunity for the world to see the love and the grace of God. Others might be looking at the church and wondering, how are these people all getting along? All these people that that come with different backgrounds, different nationalities, different interests, different personalities. Why are they meeting together? How are they they functioning together? Why do they want to spend time together? They're, They're just so diverse and yet... Within that diversity, we have great unity because it all centers around Jesus and it becomes an opportunity for us to show and reveal to others the great unity that we have in the Lord. Look at Jesus, what he's praying there in that priestly prayer in John 17. Oh, that, that they may be one as you and I are one, Father. See, you look at within the Trinity. I mean, here they are, different roles. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Nobody's jockeying for a position. Jesus isn't sitting there saying, you know, I really want to be doing what the Father is doing. No, Jesus is coming and in great unity, just fulfilling that role of, uh, of fellowship, unity within the Trinity. And what he's doing is he's inviting all of us in to take part in that as well. To enjoy the fellowship that he enjoys with the, the Father, with the Spirit, how there's great unity, and inviting us in to enjoy that unity and that fellowship with God in and through all of those things. Now, this is something that isn't so readily seen in the world because the world doesn't operate that way. The world doesn't really understand naturally a, a unity like this. In fact, the world is thinking, you know, we got to look out just for ourselves. We got to really push to get ahead. And if it means clawing over somebody else or, you know, unity is the last thing on their mind. It's all about themselves. And so when suddenly people begin to see within a a church that there's unity, even among great diversity, wow, what's that work there? What's that play? How is that happening? Oh, it's because of Jesus. 
It's because of the commonality that we share in and through Christ. So though there's differences here, or, or though there might be reasons that people might find not to be present, we gather to come and put the beauty of unity on display to reveal to the world, oh man, there's great love here. There's great, there's great um, fellowship. There's something far greater that unifies us and it's found in Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't always the reality that we see in church. In fact, a lot of times when you talk to people that are saying, I no longer go to church, it's because they've seen something within somebody that has caused fights or, or quarrels and they haven't seen unity on display. Disunity in the church truly has been one of the greatest disservices to the effectiveness of the church. Many people have seen bickering, backbiting, and brutality that takes place among believers in the church, and it turns them off completely to church and, and ultimately, sadly, to the things of God. And yet, what is Paul saying here in these first six verses? He's saying, listen, we're on the same team here, everybody. We're on the same team. Why? Because we're one body who has one spirit. There's one Lord, one faith among us, one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. We're unified here. So don't focus on what is not in common, but rather focus on what we do have in common. And it is sufficient and enough to keep us unified in these things. Our purpose and, and commonality as Christians is ultimately to glorify Christ. So when we seek His glory guess what? We're going to become more unified. And when we become more unified, well, he gets all the more glory for it. So let's look at what our purpose is. It's to glorify Christ. But as we do that, we become unified. We get to express this great unity we enjoy in and through Jesus. And as we become more unified, he becomes more glorified. It's a great reciprocal pattern that takes place there. So, the church is to be an expression of unity. But secondly, the church is to equip for ministry. Let's read on here in verse 7. And Paul continues on saying, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, there's some things that we read here that might be a little bit confusing and, and over here going, what is he talking about with Christ? Ascending, what does it mean? That he ascended, but that he also descended. Listen, we're not going to spend a lot of time. That's a whole other message altogether. But just to kind of fill you in real quickly and briefly here, Paul is speaking here about when Christ died on the cross and he defeated sin and Satan, right? And how he rose again. And as he ascended, Paul says he, he led captivity captive. Jesus was now victorious, you see. And Paul has in mind a returning general from battle who would lead his captives with them. And as he would return home with the people that he's, he's kind of captured in war, people come and give gifts to him. But here's the deal. Paul says Jesus didn't receive gifts. He gave gifts to men. 
And Paul is quoting from Psalm 68, verse 18 here, where it says, you have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive, you have received gifts among men. And so Paul now, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he kind of changes a a little bit of that to reveal an, an important truth, that Jesus came to set people free and to bless them with gifts, not burden them with having to give. He says, I've come to set you free, and I've come to give unto you. So why has Jesus gifted us? He's gifted us. He's given gifts among us and to us so that we might participate in the church and be a part of the body of Christ. In finding, again, these expressions, these ways of serving and contributing to the body of Christ. This is a wonderful truth and a wonderful reality for us. You see, our role in church should never be seen as a burden. Or our role should never be seen as just, you know, coming and, and sitting back and, and, and just taking it all in, but rather taking in so that we can give out. We've been given gifts in order to do that. And it's here that we begin, when we do so, to really experience the, the blessing and the joy of Jesus. Why? Because we're doing what we've been created to do. We're doing that which Jesus has equipped us to do. He's called us to. He's gifted us in. And when we begin to do that, we're going to find the greatest joy because we're fulfilling the very will of God for our lives and serving, living out these things for Him. Now, notice here, Paul doesn't get into so much the specific gifts. You you turn to Romans 12, you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and you begin to look at some of the more specific areas of of giftings but what paul does highlight is he he shares how jesus gave certain people and gifted certain people to now gift the church right so he lists apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers here and they're all functioning in the roles for one specific purpose do you see that there in verse 12 he gave some of the apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers for in verse 12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, oh, phew, man, I dodged a bullet there because I'm not a saint, man. No, far from it. Right? I know what you're thinking, some of you, right? You're going, oh, that doesn't, I don't qualify on that. Phew, good. Don't have to worry about any of that. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ today, he's called you a saint. Thank you, you're a saint. You're a saint today for your faith in Jesus Christ because a saint just simply means that you're, you're called out, you're set apart for Christ. Oh, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. We'll get to that a little bit here. But you're a saint today if you're a believer. There's, there's, there's two classifications of people today. The saints and the ain'ts, as J. Vernon McGee would say, right? The saints and the ain'ts. So you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. And Jesus has given certain people to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I love that. This is one of my favorite verses because it's where I get to share with all of you that I don't have to be the one doing everything around here. And you guys get to take part in that too, right? Because everybody, that's usually the go-to. It's like, well, the pastor's got that. That's the pastor's job. No, we just come and we just, we just make sure he's doing his job. That's what we're here to do. But no, listen, we're all here so that we can begin to, to live out these ways that Jesus has has equipped us, gifted us. I'm here to teach the word of God so that again, you can be equipped for the work of the ministry. So that you can be trained up to go and carry out the work of ministry. That's what we're called to do. 
Now, some, some might be saying, oh, well, hold on, man. That's not me because I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't gone to seminary. I'm not qualified for this kind of stuff. I can't teach a Bible study. I can't teach the Word of God. Listen, that's not what maybe the Lord is calling you to do. Because equipped for the work of ministry, the word ministry simply means service. Service. I'm, I'm thankful for the many people here on Sundays that take part in ministry on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis, on a, on a you know, day-to-day basis of the church. Because people that are cleaning the church, people that are setting up the church, people that are making coffee, greeting at the door, guess what? They're fulfilling ministry. They're serving. They're being ministers of God in doing so. That's the great thing. So the church exists so that we might be equipped for ministry. That's why we do what we do. So that you can be trained up and encouraged to begin to exercise those gifts for the Lord. That's a great thing. Now, I understand that some of you might not like this kind of thing. And perhaps you're sitting back thinking right now, what? Hold on a second here. No, no, no. I come to church to get away from that sort of stuff, right? This is my time to relax. Free childcare, free coffee. I just want to take in and just, just sit back and take it all in and relax here. I'm not coming to church to serve men. That's what I do the rest of the week, right? Well, listen, that leads us to our, our next point, right? Because it says there, the church is to encourage maturity, right? Now, you parents, think about your kids, right? Now, kids, when they start off, they're very what? Well, they're immature. And what's the sign of that immaturity? They're very selfish, right? They don't want to do any work, Right? You say, hey, listen, can you go into the dishwasher? Right? That's what you get oftentimes. Right? They're not willing to do that. But as they grow, as you continue to teach and encourage them, suddenly one day they come up to you and they're like, hey, does the dishwasher need emptying? Can I do that for you? And all of a sudden, you know, I mean, after a few minutes when you come back up off the floor, you're like, wow, you've like really matured. You've reached some maturity here. So I'm not having to beg you to do this. And all of a sudden, you're like choosing to do so. There's maturity. I'm still praying for that for my kids, but that's fine. We'll get to that another time. But, you know, I mean, they're only 20, 16, you know, 23. It's okay. But so being encouraged to maturity. Look at what we read here next. Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let me stop right there. So we gather as we do here each Sunday, each midweek, each Bible study that takes place, each event or outreach that goes on we do these things so that we might grow and and reach maturity look at what paul says here he says till we all come to the to the unity of the faith right now speaking of having that that common faith growing in the truth of of god's word listen there might be a lot of things that we you know, disagree on or have differences and different opinions on, on various subjects, even on, on certain biblical interpretations. Some things need to be worked out. Some things, you know, will only be worked out when we see Jesus and we understand all things perfectly ourselves. But in the meantime, 
We can't let these differing views, when they're not in opposition to God's word, we can't let these differing views become in opposition to one another. So Paul says, let's hold to the unity of the faith. Right? And, and, he, and he mentions some of those things to, to begin with earlier in that passage, right? One spirit, one, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. Let's hold to that unity that we have in the faith. And understand that, yeah, we haven't arrived yet. We don't know all things fully. This is where the grace of God needs to, needs to kick in. We keep learning and growing and showing grace with one another, knowing the grace that we ourselves need in these things. To welcome the unity of the faith and, he says, of the knowledge of the Son of God. To the knowledge of the Son of God. See, there's a lot that we need to learn and grow in. To the knowledge of the Son of God. Do you know that we're just scratching the surface? When we open up God's word and we begin to learn of Jesus, we begin to, to grow in the things of God. Man, we're just scratching the surface because God is infinite. And we're never going to know fully this side of eternity. But I pray that we might keep growing in these things and discovering and learning of God. Jesus himself says in John seventeen three, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that they may know you. To know God, I mean, that just, that just brings life to us, you see. That's the essence of life, to know Him. And the church is to make that our goal and to encourage one another in these things to grow in maturity, to grow in the knowledge of God, to learn of Him, to know Him more day by day. That we might become, as Paul says, a, a perfect man and grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see that there in verse 13? To a perfect man. That's speaking of progression, isn't it? Where we understand we keep moving forward, we keep growing. How many can say here today that you've reached perfection? All right? Any, anyone? Okay, just making sure a few, because we we're going to have to break for intercession if I saw some hands go up there. That'd be all right. But no, we all recognize, man. I'm not where I, I want to be, where I need to be. Praise the Lord that I'm not where I once was, that he's delivered me out of that. But we understand that we're on a journey and we want to keep growing and moving forward to perfection, to a perfect man, to, to completion. And we know that we'll never reach that until we see him face to face. So in other words, we can never let the foot off the gas pedal. We can never coast. We can never stop and say, ah, no, I think I've done it. I think I've arrived. We'll never get there until we're with them. But we know the joys and the blessings as we keep moving forward in maturity and growing in Him. And that's a big part of the church here today. To keep encouraging one another on into maturity. And the result of that is stability. As Paul says in verse 14. So we're not going to be like... Like children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So we're not going to be just all tossed around. That's oftentimes why many people have left the church. Because they've been sidetracked. They've, they've, been, they've been discouraged. They've been tripped up. They've been misled. And, and, and they've they left the church. Because again, they, they haven't been built up in, in any kind of maturity in the truth and the knowledge of God. See, if we're not being equipped and growing, we become susceptible 
to those very things. To the very attacks of the enemy that seek to trip us up. But the church, the church is Jesus' means to strengthen, to keep one another grounded. Jesus has given the church to accomplish these very things. He set up that way that we might be strengthened and secure in him through his church. Here's the deal. When we see the church functioning the way it should, it brings maturity and maturity brings stability. Maturity will bring stability. Well, lastly, we see our fourth point here, and that is the church is to edify lovingly. Let's look at verse 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, the church is to be that which speaks this truth in people's lives, speaking the truth in love. Well, what truth are we to speak? We're to speak the word of God. This is where we find truth today. And it's not parts of this is truth. This is all truth for us. And we give out the word of God. We, we share the gospel with people so that they might hear the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for them. How he died on a cross to forgive them of their sin. That by believing in him, we might have life and the forgiveness of sin. That we might be brought into right standing with God. We need to speak these things. We need to speak it in truth. We don't come alongside people and say, oh man, you're not a believer. What's the matter with you? You got to get things right. Give your head a shake. You're such a sinner. No, we don't say things like that. We speak it in love. We want to encourage them. What Jesus has done for them, that Jesus loves them. That Jesus died for them. Speak the truth in love that they might grow up in all things into him, who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Recognize that. I'm, I'm so glad that, that this isn't my church, that this isn't your church. Yes, it is the church that we go to. Yes, we can say it's our church, but ultimately this is the Lord's church. He's the head. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one we want to keep looking to and pointing to and pointing other people to. That's why we meet, is that we can just keep coming alongside and pointing people to Jesus. He's the head. That we might grow up in all things into him, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Again, there's that role that we all play. Don't you love the fact that throughout God's word, the church is referred to as the body of Christ? Just as a body, you have all many different parts. Different things going on. Things that I can't even figure out myself. What's going on in my body? What this does? What, what's that all about? What's going on here? But, but yet within the church, or the body of Christ. And, and just as though there might be things I don't understand, I need it. I recognize that's serving a vital role in the functioning of me standing, living, and breathing. And so too, within the church, the body of Christ, every part has a part to play. We, we join together. We're joined and knit together by what each of us do and, and in how we serve. And we do those things in love. We edify, we build up. We do all these things in love, because of love, because of the love that we've received in Jesus, because we want to show that love to one another. And more importantly, we want to show that to the world. There's something better out there for people. It's found in Jesus who's holding all this together for us. This is what Jesus has been 
teaching his disciples as we've been going through the Gospel of John, as we finished up in chapter 13. And I'm going to invite the choir to come back up at this point here and get ready to continue on in worship. But Jesus in chapter 13, what did he do at the beginning? He came alongside his disciples and he washed their feet. So Jesus showed that role of service. Ministry unto his disciples. And he showed that great love by which he took that role of a servant. And he did something so wonderful for his disciples. And at the end of chapter 13, Jesus would say in verse 13, or sorry, chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, that is a, a key thing that we need to be living out here in our church. That's why I love coming together. That's why I love being together is that we just get to love upon one another. And yeah, though we might be different, we see again that expression of unity that we get to put on display. We get to be equipped for ministry and take an active role in service. We get to encourage maturity as we keep pointing one another to Jesus, as we grow in Jesus, and we get to edify, which simply means to build up one another in love. Now, again, that's oftentimes things that the world doesn't see so readily, that they're unfamiliar with oftentimes, a love like God's love, a love that's unconditional, that's full of grace, that's sacrificial, that's giving. That's the kind of love that we want to be exercising here. We want to be putting on display. We want people to come into this place and go, wow, there's love in this place. There's love in people. You don't have to know that person to love them. Because we've experienced that love from the Father. And we just get to be a conduit of that love one to another. Let's be sure that we're putting these things into practice. Let's recognize again the wonderful role that we have here in the church. These are the things of, of why we do what we do. So we might be strengthened and grow and continue to point people to Jesus here. Let's make that a prayer for ourselves this coming fall. That we will move in just a greater strength in these things and a greater witness of who Jesus is by what we do, by what we live out here in the church. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for our time today and your word just to be reminded of simple truths that I know so many of us just already know, but Lord, it's good to get back on track with these things. And I pray that we would be a, a church here that reflects you that represents you well and that we'll be showing lord through our unity through our ministry through our maturity through loving one another just how awesome how good you are god and what we're all about here so lead us in these things may you continue to be glorified today and always lord in our lives we ask in your name amen Well, we're going to continue to worship and rejoice in Jesus here today.